Israel, you people of Jacob, who group in the dark of the night. Listen for to you a long distant calling is speaking of glimpses of light. You are a nation who's been born into bondage. You are a people of tears Caught in the circle of wandering and failing Caught in a prison of fear You are dreading the outcome Not knowing that someone Is coming to make you his bride of the covenant you entered and you were betrothed have you abandoned the bridegroom who offers to save you and make you his own have you been running to the arms of another allowing your lust to be split are you who offers her body to those who have promised to fear? Are you bleeding and broken, believing that no one is coming to make you his bride? Wake up, your children, announce to the nations His coming is soon to begin. The ruler is sending His only begotten to come and to pay for your sin. The one you've rejected is the one who is coming with unending love in his eyes. The wounds he's taking for his maiden's adultery are piercing his hands and his side. So behold him, the lover you've long been forsaking is coming to make you his bride. Redemption to anoint you with fragrance and oil, coming to take you to his chambers forever, coming to enter your soul, to present you as radiant. Before 
for all of creation He's coming to make you He's coming to make you He's coming to make you His bride Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And that's pretty much what religion is, right? A, knowledge about God and B, some good deeds. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, As for me, behold my covenant with you. And you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. And Abraham did ponder this for a moment and said unto the Lord, couldn't we just wear t-shirts? Let's pray. Lord God, this is just so weird. It's uh, so incredibly strange what you ask Abraham to do. God, would you remind us that the biblical word for strange is holy, and God, you know that holy things freak us out. So, Lord God, would you help us with your holiness? I pray especially for those who have been abused sexually, Lord God, abused by themselves or abused by others. Would you guard their hearts and redeem the images in their minds, in their bodies right now? In the name of Jesus and under the authority of his blood, I bind every dark spirit that would lie to anyone in this room about the meaning of their sexuality and the love of the great bridegroom. In Jesus' name, Lord God, 
I'm asking you to help us preach. Amen. Abraham, you shall cut the foreskin from the end of your penis as a sign of the covenant. And Abraham said, or at least I'm sure he at least thought this, but um, dang, uh, couldn't we, you know, just wear T-shirts? Couldn't we have like an altar call at the end of the service and people could come forward and stuff? How about classes? You know, we could have some exams and people could get certificates. Or, or how about a fundraiser? Now that, that would be, that would be a sign, God. That would be a sign. God, you can touch me anywhere. But please, not in that spot. Think about that spot. Not for too long, but, but think about it. It had been 24 years since God told Abraham that he'd make of him a great nation and a great people. Think about that spot. Faith and confidence are pretty important to the proper functioning of that spot. For Abraham, that spot was nothing but failure and some disobedience involving Hagar and, and, and Ishmael. So, so do, you, do you get it? Touch me anywhere, but not there. It's shameful. And it's private. And you may be thinking, yeah, Peter, it's private. So can we talk about something else, please? Do you know that circumcision is mentioned 73 times in the New Testament? I suspect that it's the parts of God's word that we modern enlightened people ignore. It's probably those parts that we need the very most. And it appears that our private parts are never meant to be private from God, you know, like hidden in fig leaves and stuff. As we learned in Genesis chapter 2, our sexuality is holy. So Abram, Abraham, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your penis. It shall be a sign a sign to who? Other people? Lift the tunic, look for a eunuch. I mean, that's, that's, probably, that's probably part of it. That, that actually was part of it. A sign to the nations. Perhaps it was a sign to the man or the boy that, that received it. A sign that spoke to him in just about every possible way, reminding him through pain, pleasure, sorrow, delight, hopes, and dreams, reminding him, Abraham, that belongs to me. And you belong to me. I am love. And I am life. Life. You know, God did just say, Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And anthropologists say that in some cultures, circumcision was like a, a sign of fertility. So, so it wasn't just a sign to the groom, it was a sign to the bride. Maybe even a sign to God. 
If you'd like a challenging text for your morning devotional time, try this one. Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. God has just sent Moses to Egypt to say, um, Israel is my firstborn son. Let my son go or I will kill your firstborn sons. And then in verse 24, at a lodging place on the way to Egypt, the Lord meets Moses and tries to kill him. That's right, tries to kill him. Until Zipporah, Moses' wife, grabs a flint and cuts off her son's foreskin and touches the bloody foreskin to Moses' feet, saying, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. And then the Lord stops, lets him go. So when God saw the blood of circumcision on Moses, the blood of the firstborn on Moses, he passed over. Like the Passover with the Jews, where they placed the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. It was a sign of the covenant, a covenant in lamb's blood. So Moses is saved from the wrath of God by the circumcision of the firstborn son. What a concept. Then verse 26, it was then that Zipporah said, a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision, a bridegroom of blood to me. You see, Moses was protected, but Zipporah, his bride, was also protected by circumcision. In that society, in that culture, this is the weird thing, though. Women were, were never circumcised. In the Bible, they were never to be circumcised, and, and yet they were. For in biblical culture, each woman was covered by a male relative if they were single or by their husband if they were married. They were circumcised through communion uh, with their circumcised husband, their bridegroom of blood. That's pretty weird, huh? Weird and wild, the covenant of circumcision. And God says it's a sign. And yet it's also the thing signified. Theologians call that a sacrament. It's a sacrament of the covenant in Abraham's flesh. But why? And what for? You know, God doesn't really tell Abraham. Abraham doesn't know uh, about the covenant, like knowledge that he just takes from some tree. And yet Abraham will know the covenant with every nerve ending in his body, his life, his heart. Couldn't we just wear T-shirts? You will be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house or brought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant, an eternal covenant. God tells Abraham to circumcise on the eighth day. That's after seven days. And you know that seven days are the days of creation like the days of time. It's like God is saying at the end of the ages, the end of time, there will be a circumcision. The old will pass away, 
and the eternal will remain. A circumcision, that is a cutting off, a judgment, a crisis, a crisis, a, a cutting, a judgment that establishes an eternal covenant, a new reality at the end of time. Yet that judgment and that covenant will be in you, Abraham. Cut into your flesh. Paul tells us that Abraham's circumcision was a sign and a seal of the righteousness that came through faith when God cut the covenant in chapter 15. So Abraham's circumcision was not what saved him. It was the experience of what saved him. In his own flesh. See, a t-shirt didn't save him. Verse 14, and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Better to cut off your foreskin than to be cut off with it, right? Remember what Jesus said? If your right hand causes you to sin, better to cut off your right hand than to be cut off with it and thrown into Gehenna. Well, it's not our right hand, though, that causes us to sin, right? Scripture says it's our heart. We need heart surgery. I've heard people say the quickest way, the fastest way, the greatest way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Quickest way to a man's heart is through that thing that God just asked Abraham to circumcise. That's why it's holy. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations, kings and peoples, and it shall be from her. Abraham will enter Sarah. Abraham, you will enter Sarah, your bride, with a new heart. Not as you entered Hagar, your slave. Abraham and Sarah, you'll remember, used Hagar to try and manufacture the blessing and the power of their own flesh, their knowledge and their efforts. And now God tells Abraham Abraham to to cut off that, that flesh and commune with Sarah in a new way. You know, it took Susan and I a good chunk of time to get pregnant with our first child. And during that time, my wife was also was um, frustrated and angry and desperate. I mean, there was, there was just a, a lot of activity, but not much intimacy. And sometimes I'd stop her and I'd say, you know, I, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I really appreciate the frequency of this activity, but sometimes I feel like you're just using me to get a baby. And she'd say, oh, no, you are so attractive. But the, the real answer was, oh, yes, she, she was. Finally, she just broke down before God one night and surrendered that spot, that place in her. She, she gave up on trying to manufacture the blessing, and when she did, she no longer used me 
to get the blessing. I was the blessing. <laughs> and then she got pregnant. Now, it doesn't work that way in the flesh, but I think it always does work that way in the spirit. Do you ever use God to get his blessing? What if he is the blessing? Verse 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? Answer, yes. So what begins in pain ends in a communion of delight. Abraham and Sarah's geriatric honeymoon. What begins in pain ends in laughter, in specific, Isaac. Well, that's just a little bit hard for Abraham to believe. Verse 18, and Abraham said to God, oh, that that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting eternal covenant and with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I've blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes and I will make him a great nation, but my covenant I will establish with laughter. Isaac. That's what Isaac means. Whom Sarah shall bear to you at this set time next year. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very same day, Abraham was circumcised, and his son Ishmael, and all all the men of his house, born in the house, or bought with money from a foreigner. They, they were all circumcised with him. What a day. <laughs> and dang, don't you suppose that took a lot of faith? Abraham couldn't explain it, but he does know it, and it's at least faith. You know, I was there for my son Coleman's circumcision. It was done by this lady doctor who had just shared with me how she had just gone through a divorce. And I sensed some hostility in her toward men. And it took some faith for me to stand there, just stand there. Scripture says that God will one day circumcise us. And reading scripture, you might uh, sense a little bit of a hostility on the part of God toward men. And so it takes some faith to stand there. Someone, someone's faith to stand there. Circumcision is faith, surrender, vulnerability, intimacy. In biblical times, little children knew 
that when a boy or a man uh, was circumcised, the protective layer of skin covering the end of the man's private part was, was cut off, leaving the most sensitive part of the man vulnerable and exposed, that part that is mystically, sacramentally connected to the heart. So Moses and the prophets say, circumcise your hearts. Jeremiah says of Israel, behold, their ear is uncircumcised. In one place, even talk about uncircumcised fruit trees, but circumcision's all over. But Jeremiah says of Israel, behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hear. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight, no pleasure in it. They are insensitive to it, to him, the word of the Lord. There's like a self-protective skin over their ears and over their hearts. So the word of God does not penetrate and fill them with delight. So they must be circumcised. And what is cut away? Well, read the prophets and you will see it's the flesh. It's this. <laughs> Remember this from when we were preaching through Genesis? The, uh, well, we are preaching through Earlier on, you know, chapter two, the me that I create with my judgments, the old man, Adam, it's the flesh. My works, which... Keep me from grace. Deuteronomy chapter three, verse six, Moses prophesied, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. He must circumcise your heart. I would take a knife that is like, what, living and active? Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, discerning the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And of course, that's what the word of God is. Understand? The word must cut us in order to fill us with delight. Exodus 44, 9. One must be circumcised to enter the sanctuary. The sanctuary of delight. We can't just wear t-shirts. We can't just attend a class. We can't just sponsor a fundraiser. Understand? Do you? Because Abraham didn't. Moses wouldn't prophesy for another 500 years. And even when he did, he didn't know how God was going to pull off this surgery. Abraham didn't understand. He didn't know about the covenant. Yet he knew the covenant with every nerve ending in his body. <laughs> Crazy old Zen monk stood there holding a stick. And he said to a seeker, What's this in my hand? And the seeker, she said, it's a stick. And the Zen monk just hit him over the head with it and said, no, that's what it is. Abraham said, what's circumcision? And God hit him over the head with it. 
He hit him in the flesh with it. Circumcised the foreskin of your penis. That's what it is. The love of God, the blessing of Abraham, the eternal covenant of grace is not something you simply know with your thoughts and consider with your brain, but something you experience in your flesh and know with your entire being. And that's why theologians, scholars, and religious experts often do not get it. However, little children, brides and bridegrooms, tax collectors, prostitutes, shepherds, carpenters, fishermen, and old wandering nomads do. Comedians do. My wife told me that in the Bible, Abraham circumcised himself. Wow. I can't even get to the bank before it closes. Abraham did it. Yeah, God told him to do it. Would have loved to have overheard that conversation. <laughs> Abraham, oh, hey, God, how you doing? I need you to do something for me. Oh, sure, you're God. I need you to circumcise yourself. I think we got a bad connection. Uh, can you send me an email? Are you on Facebook yet? Tell you, those challenges in the Bible took a leap in difficulty there. You know, it's like, don't eat this apple. Build me a boat. Cut off part of your penis. <laughs> what if I build you two boats? Abraham even tell his wife, you know? Maybe he didn't. He was just getting out of the shower. She was like, what the hell have you done? <laughs> Honey, I can explain. God told me to do it. If God told you to jump off a bridge, if God told you to sacrifice our first... I actually have to talk to you about that one. <laughs> yeah, Abraham, he went through the ringer. Yeah. It's not like Jesus had a cakewalk, though. You think Jesus ever trying to talk God out of some of that stuff? You know, like, hey, Dad, you know that old crucifixion thing? Yes, you're dying on the cross for all mankind's sins. Yeah, yeah, hear me out. What if instead of that, we did a big fundraiser? No, now get cracking on your miracles. <laughs> See, I think he gets it. He gets the meaning. He gets the word. Abraham went through the ringer because Jesus went through the ringer. We go through the ringer because Jesus went through the ringer. We go through the ringer so we can get it. In this world, we taste his pain so we can give birth to his laughter. The French mystic Jean Guion wrote this. This is the way it was in the life of Paul. He did not ponder the sufferings of Christ. He did not consider the marks of suffering on the Lord's body. Instead, Paul bore in his own body the experiences of his Lord. He even said, I bear in my body the marks of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ had personally imprinted himself upon Paul like an eternal covenant established in his flesh. Yeah, Paul is the one that uh, instructs us to no longer be circumcised. But that's not because we no longer need circumcision. It's because he argues that we already are circumcised. 
In Acts 10, Peter preaches the word to a Roman centurion named Cornelius. As Peter is describing Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit descends upon Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and fills him, just like the Spirit filled the sanctuary in the Old Testament, the sanctuary that Cornelius was not allowed to enter because he was uncircumcised. You see, it was the place of Cornelius' deepest wound. And yet now he himself was the sanctuary of the living God. All were amazed because Cornelius was uncircumcised. And and yet, you see, he, he was circumcised. Through faith, Cornelius saw the sign of the covenant. Jesus Christ and him crucified, he saw his bridegroom of blood. And he became the bride of Christ. Isaiah prophesied, God will lift up a sign for the nations. He said it would even be the root of Jesse, a sign for the nations. And Jesus said, uh, when I am lifted up on the cross, lifted up from the earth, I will draw romance, all people, unto myself. Cornelius received the circumcision of Christ. And his heart was circumcised by the word that, that is Christ, the word that cut him and now filled him with Delight. Jesus is the word. And you know, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Scripture tells us that Jesus was crucified at the end of the ages, for he is the end. And Jesus tells us that his crucifixion is the judgment of this world, the crisis of this world, the crisis of this world, the severing, the the cutting of this world. On the cross, Jesus bore all of our sin in his body of flesh and was cut off. He was circumcised. On the cross, he, he cut off my old man, remember how we, we talked about this for so long? He cut off my old man and he gave me my new man. The faithfulness of God, the me that God creates, God's judgment, the new Adam. He is the word that cuts to the division of my soul and God's spirit. On the cross, God cut the eternal covenant in the body of Christ, Christ Jesus, my Lord, and through communion, uh, the communion, the covenant is uh, made even in my flesh. You see, he is my bridegroom of blood. And so if you are offended by this word, be careful. It may be that you are offended by the cross of Christ. And if so, don't run, don't hide. Surrender that part that is offended. That part is your dignity, right? Your control, your fear, your faithlessness. It's it's called your flesh. Let him cut it away that he might fill you with himself. Listen to Paul in Colossians chapter 2. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, 
And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in the trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you see? The circumcision of Christ is the circumcision of God. I mean, isn't Jesus God in flesh? Jesus Christ and him crucified from the bosom of the Father. He has made him known. Jesus Christ and him crucified is the heart of God, naked, vulnerable, exposed, and bloody, lifted up for all to see. And do you hear what he is saying? He's saying, children of Abraham, do you see it? Do you see? I am your blessing. It's me. Children of Adam, Don't you see? I've given you my heart. So would you give me yours? See, you can't answer that question by taking a class or pulling off a fundraiser or putting on a T-shirt. Paul writes, we are the true circumcision who worship who worship God in spirit. On the cross, God made the covenant. The covenant forms a sacrament. The sacrament is a communion. Do you know what it would have done to me if on my wedding night in the sanctuary of our covenant my bride would have looked at me and said, you want to do what? Couldn't we just wear T-shirts? You know, a little matching T-shirts? It would have killed me. Maybe it did kill Jesus. I wanted to take off the T-shirt cut off the fig leaves, take off the pretense, the arrogance, the the pride. I, I want the experience of faithful, vulnerable, intimate communion. You see, I want her. And I want her to want me with a circumcised heart, a naked heart. And if I don't have that, Everything else in our marriage is an insult and an abomination. Philippians 3, 3, Paul writes, We are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. 
We are those who glory in our bridegroom and put no confidence in our t-shirts and our knowledge and our good works, that is our flesh. We surrender our flesh and glory in the grace of Jesus and that, my friends, is worship. The covenant is not a t-shirt. Faith is not a t-shirt. Worship is not a t-shirt. It's more like circumcision. It's a surrendered life. You know, God comes to us disguised in the experiences of our life. And if you're like me, you sometimes wonder, God, what, why do I have to go through with life? I mean, I got the T-shirt. I understand the systematic theology and all that stuff. Why the drama? Why the struggle? Why do I have to go through these experiences? Don't you think Abraham thought? God, why do I have to go through with this? I mean, just explain the theology. Why, 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 the, the, this, why this experience? Ow! People come to me and say, why did it happen? Why the divorce? Why the failure? Why, uh, why the experience? What do I need to learn? What do I need to do? What? Answer? Maybe nothing. Maybe it's just what you needed to experience. And by the way, it's a gift. When we come to worship, we bring our lives. Don't hide the intimate details of your life. Don't stuff your shame. Don't bury your emotions. Wherever you're anxious, wherever you're afraid, ashamed, arrogant, or guilty, wherever you depend upon yourself to produce the blessing, that's your flesh. And get this, it's not the blessing. It's actually what keeps you from the blessing. Your flesh, and your flesh is revealed through the events and experiences of your life. So when we come to worship, we surrender our flesh to the circumcision of Christ, and it's cut away. And in that place, that's why this is so important, in that place, we receive his life. So the very place of pain becomes the experience of delight and bears fruit that is life. It's in that spot that you will encounter the blessing. Writing this sermon this week, I really struggled especially yesterday, because I felt like there was something that I was supposed to say and I just couldn't figure out what it was. Maybe I didn't want to figure out what it was. And then this morning, I think God showed me what it was. This. (laughs) Right here, right now. For me, this is that spot. Because it was 27 years ago as a young man that I watched my father tried and stripped of his credentials, his flesh, what he knew and what he did, and he was a pastor. It was 27 years ago he was standing in this very spot. 
it was 14 years ago, that very miraculously God revealed to me that I had gone into the ministry to cover this spot. <laughs> that what I knew and what I did was all an effort to protect my heart from this spot. It was my flesh. For the last several years, God's been teaching me, touching me in that spot. And my heart's been saying anything, God, but that spot. Tell me what I need to know, tell me what I have to do, but please don't make me experience that spot. Now please, I, I really want you to believe me. This was not my idea. I did not make it happen. It wasn't my idea any more than circumcision was Abraham's idea. But for the last year and a half, God has made me literally actually come back and stand in this spot, which is that spot. Bring my flesh revealed in the events of my life, my flesh, my pride, my arrogance, my anxiety. Bring my flesh to this spot and worship the spot where my flesh is cut off in the circumcision of Christ. In this spot, he has had me preach the word. In this spot, I have then washed, body broken and bloodshed. In this spot, I encounter my bridegroom of blood and worship. I can't fully explain it with my head but I'm experiencing it with my life. For you see, 27 years ago, I walked out of this room and my heart said, I will never, ever, ever return to that spot. Twenty-seven years later, in this spot of my deepest wound, I'm just beginning to experience God's delight and the birth of new life, this spot has become the sanctuary. And in this spot I see him and I know him. His name is Jesus and he is the blessing. That night he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body, broken, given to you. Take and eat. Do it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the, the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, the eternal covenant, my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. in this spot. I told you about my spot because I think I'm supposed to because I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to be vulnerable and stuff, you know. But you got a spot too. So let's pray.
would you pray this after me? Silently in your heart. Lord God, would you reveal to me that spot where I will not allow you to touch me. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's your entire life. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a place of unforgiveness. Do you understand that Jesus is in that spot? That your wounds are his wounds and they were his wounds first? Would you come to that spot, that place? Or would you bring that place to this table? Surrender it to Jesus. He'll let you know what that means. Surrender it to Jesus that he might cut it off and throw it away and fill that very place with his life. We're only beginning to see it. We're only beginning. For you see, the eternal covenant has been placed within our flesh. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and worship. Black cups are wine. Light cups are juice. They are both the love of God poured out for you. How do you circumcise a whale? Four skin divers. <laughs> Had an aunt who worked in the circumcision ward, didn't make much money, but she got a lot of tips. <laughs> do you know that 27 years ago, when I stormed out of this room making vows in my heart, God knew that I would be standing in this spot 27 years later telling circumcision jokes? And you see, circumcision jokes are highly appropriate. It was all I could do to resist a whole string of them. They're highly appropriate for the next thing that happens in the book of Genesis is Isaac. Laughter. And so, yeah, we experienced some pain here. I watched my dad experience some pain. You experienced some pain. We all experienced some pain, but now it is absolutely eclipsed with laughter and joy unspeakable because Isaac is an eternal seed who does not go away. In Jesus' name, believe, even here in this spot, especially this spot, in Jesus' name, amen.